0: This week of the Tech On Tap podcast, networking guru Richard Sheffenegger joins us to discuss what TCP performance improvements were added in ONTAP 9.6. Well, welcome to the Tech On Tap podcast
1: with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah.
2: NetApp. I love this company. Zipalk. Zipalk.
1: I love NetApp because it's a so fun. <laughs>
0: hello and welcome to the tech on tap podcast my name is justin parisi i'm here in the studio with me today from far away germany no austria austria yeah the same thing
1: uh richard Steffenegger, hi it's not the same (laughs) hi justin hasn't updated his map since 1942
0: yes you're the ottomans right um so
2: richard uh if you could tell everybody what you do here at netapp and how to reach you um, I'm a uh, consulting systems, uh, sorry, so, uh, consulting solutions uh, um, engineer right now. So they changed the names of the, uh, the title. It stays, it, stays, it stays with the same three letter acronym, at least. And uh, whenever there is a question around performance, metro cluster, networking, especially, uh, this is the topic of today, uh, I get uh, brought in and uh, asked uh, questions. So now, today, I'm trying to answer some of those uh, ahead of time so that uh, I don't get these asked uh, over and over again by different people.
0: <laughs> Good luck. So uh, pro tip, you will still get asked. Yes. Um, Dan.
2: Hey, Ta- Justin. Dan Isaacs is here.
0: So Dan, um, if you want to introduce yourself and what you yeah. do here now.
1: I'm Dan Isaacs, I'm a technical marketing engineer, or I guess senior technical marketing engineer. Ooh, a senior? Well, I never say that, but
2: yeah. <laughs> by, by now, we all three are seniors. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> We're very, very old.
1: Yeah, and I I cover uh, all things that go fast, so uh, Flash things and ONTAP performance things and a couple other special projects that I'm not allowed to talk about.
0: Richard is here today to talk to us about networking performance. Uh, You may remember Richard from episode 181 where we did a networking deep dive. Uh, So Richard knows this stuff, and we're going to talk about what's new in ONTAP 9.6. So Richard... Kick us off with what's changed for networking in ONTAP 9.6.
2: So I'm uh, very happy to um, tell that with 9.6, we have uh, changed uh, one of the fundamental mechanisms that uh, govern how quickly we can actually deliver data. Uh, So just a little bit of an excursion about uh, TCP in general. Um, TCP is not only how the bits are represented on the wire, it also deals uh, with when uh, those bits hit the buyer, right? So the, the timing, basically. And for the longest time, um, there's a, uh, we used a mechanism uh, called Reno. Uh, that's uh, rather old, so approximately uh, 25, 30 years in the making with uh, various uh, improvements over time. But uh, um, the core of it always stayed the same. The, the timing basically stayed the same. Uh, but now with 9.6, we've uh, introduced uh, TCP cubic. And uh, the name cubic uh, does refer to the power of three, meaning it has a cube function in there, which uh, drives uh, the um, the utilization of the network to higher levels than we could achieve before. So, am I safe to assume that previously with
0: Reno it might have been squared? If this is cubic now, <laughs> <laughs> it no. was it was it was it was linear. Oh, linear. Okay. Yes. So tell me more about why
2: what Reno was and why it was linear. So the um, thing is, uh, TCP is designed to basically um, hit the maximum performance of the network. And eventually this means that you will have some packet drops. So um, whenever I meet a person that tells me that he has no packet drops in his network, he either has no idea what he's talking about, Or he has a vastly over-engineered network. Uh, Most of the cases, it's the first time. uh, The first thing. Anyway, so um, whenever the packet drop happens, uh, which inevitably, inevitably, Inevitably. yes, thank you, indubitably, (laughs) I need to work on my pronunciation. That's okay. It's a tough word. Go ahead. Uh, um, The with uh, Reno you would basically halve the sending rate, so the the, the speed by which uh, data would be transported and sent out from uh, from storage, basically from any other um, TCP IP device, would be reduced to one half of the sending rate when the network was hitting its limits. And then it would work uh, up its way very, very slowly in a linear fashion from that uh, speed up towards uh, the speed where basically the sender is again uh, oversaturating the network and another packet drop happens.
0: So basically, when it's trying to get back to where it was, it's a slow ramp up. It's basically like an acceleration onto a highway.
2: And uh, I believe we will have an accompanying graph with this. Um, There's um, some numbers. So uh, just to give you an an example, if you um, run a 10 gigabit uh, link uh, uh, across a longer distance, in this case, uh, I've calculated this uh, for a distance of 1,000 kilometers. So we're talking about decent uh, distances here. with Reno, it takes up to one hour, one hour to repeat, um, before the bandwidth uh, has been um, uh, ramping up to the to the 10 gig uh, uh, rate again, um, and then jumps back to 5 gig. But uh, since, again, we are talking about a linear increase, the average bandwidth is in the order of only 70 to 80% of the maximum bandwidth that you have uh Contracted with your um, uh, with your provider of the link, so you're underutilized underutilized, underutilized. perfect. Um, <laughs> uh, the the link that you bought. So I mean, a, an hour isn't a problem. I mean, you just write it in your SLAs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're like you're like spending money for nothing, right?
0: No, <laughs> oh, it's in the SLA. I've told you
1: ahead of time that this is going to suck. <laughs> right. So so just to be clear, so what this is. What the cubic and Reno, what those are addressing is uh, how quickly you can uh, ramp up to full bandwidth yes. after you lose a packet. Yes
2: um, and the other thing is obviously say you ha- you are not using this uh, long distance link solely for one single session mm-hmm. but you're using it for multiple sessions mm-hmm. and say uh, you have say four snap mirror transfers uh, running there and one snap mirror transfer completes it takes the other the remaining uh, transfers quite a long time to ramp up and uh, and utilize the uh, the now available bandwidth
1: ah okay
0: you mentioned packet drops
2: what are some reasons why a packet would drop in a network like give me some some examples so the the most uh, dominant reason is uh, is uh, congestion something that we call congestion that's um, basically uh, the sender uh, will eventually send out packets at a higher rate than uh, some device in the network can sustain. Um, You can avoid this, so there are certain uh, uh, network um, topologies uh, which are uh, being utilized mostly in the HCI um, space, perhaps we can talk about this uh, at a later time, uh, which can avoid this to to the most part. Um, however, in, in, in ordinary designed uh, IP networks, um, where you don't have uh, this uh, vastly over-engineered capacity, you're basically utilizing some of the links multiple times for multiple users, basically. Uh, not only storage, but also, say, for your regular um, web traffic or what have you. And uh, when multiple of these flows go into the switch and the switch can only clock out the packets at a certain rate, the link rate that you, have, uh, that you have contracted with your provider, right? Those packets start to queue up. So each of these switches, all of the switches, all modern uh, networking gear has queues. And uh, those queues are also essential to achieve some kind of decent performance. Um, but the ratio of the number of packets in those queues versus the link rate uh, is also uh, a critical component in the congestion control mechanisms which for example TCP are using uh, all kind of other uh, transport protocols which we may be talking uh, about later are also using uh, congestion control so congestion control itself is not not something that is specific to TCP but something that uh, TCP has had a extremely long history in exploring and figuring out all the kinks and what to do and what you should never do
0: you mentioned that the switches themselves like trying to save money on the switches can cause some of these problems and this exactly. is something that people don't realize when they're buying the cheaper switches they just see the switches like oh that's a lot cheaper than the other one
2: yeah, and that's that's exactly this unbalance between bandwidth uh, demand um, and uh, and the capabilities or the link uh, speeds of the of the network basically
0: so how does cubic Solve this problem. Like, what does it do specifically to f- to fix the problem with this
2: slow ramp up, as well as you know, how does it handle the congestion control a little better? As mentioned earlier, so what happens is if you run, uh, if a packet runs into uh, a switch that is congested, eventually those queues fill up, and when they are completely filled up, switches usually operate in a mode of operation called uh, tail drop, meaning the last packet that arrives, um, and uh, basically finds the queue completely filled cannot be stuck in the queue and will be dropped. The signal of this drop is the one that TCP reacts to. But the signal is basically delayed uh, because it's uh, if you if you so want the the missing packet in the stream of of packets um, that are in that queue is at at the end of the queue at first and only arrives at the recipient and can be reflected back basically uh, to the sender once the entire queue has drained. Which is also why having too large a queue is not always going to help you and uh, improve (coughs) the situation. Because a huge queue, so deep buffered uh, switches, uh, can deal very good with uh, short bursts of traffic while the average is still uh, low enough. But they cannot deal uh, very well with um, extremely high sustained rate. Uh, in that case, in the in the high sustained rate, uh, all you will be experiencing is extremely high latency. So we are talking up to a second or so um, <laughs> of latency uh, for everything that uh, traverses that particular queue. Uh, normally, you would find this uh, on again on long distance links. So, on top of the high latency because of the long distance, mm-hmm. you get high latency because the queue is so deep, and it is uh, and the and the signal. Uh, to the sender to reduce its sending rate is uh, is basically delayed uh, because the the long queue. Yep. So now what what is uh, cubing doing differently here? So first uh, I mentioned the congestion signal usually is this uh, is this packet drop right? But when you then reduce the sending rate, you're draining this queue, and once the uh, the this queue is drained, meaning uh, the the arrival the packets arriving into the queue. Is uh, slower than the packets uh, being sent out over the link uh, uh, from the front of the queue. Once that uh, the, uh, queue has drained, at that point in time, you're basically losing uh, bandwidth. Now, Cubic ramps up relatively quickly after one of these uh, congestion events, and I'm I'm specific here saying a congestion event because there's a different mechanism which I want to talk about in the um, RDMA section. Um, and then it lingers around in the sending uh, bandwidth just below uh, where the packet drop happened the, uh, the, the prior in the prior cycle. Mm-hmm. So it basically tries to probe and stay just slightly beneath that uh, this uh, network is uh, running into a excessive um, uh, demand. And only after uh, a certain period of time, and it's, uh, can be quite relatively long, uh, it will then start up again. Uh, and this is basically here um, where this cube function uh, comes into play, slow at first and then ever faster to probe for uh, additional bandwidth. And this is uh, very important in this case where we, with my example exp- uh, earlier example, with the four snap mirrors, one of the snap mirror transfers is now complete. Uh, so you only have uh, two, three snap mirror transfers going on. These uh, three reta- uh, remaining um, transfers will now start probing. Uh, quicker and quicker for the newly available bandwidth and ultimately uh, proceed much faster and uh, also finalize faster.
1: So how how much faster? So with Reno, it it would be up to an hour before they would utilize all that additional freed-up bandwidth. On Cubic,
2: how much so, so you would what you normally would, would be uh, looking at is basically the uh, snap mirror transfer. So how long does the snap mirror transfer take, right? Uh, so say it's a, a larger uh, transfer, and it would normally take, say, something in the order of one hour to transfer all the data. And from uh, preliminary testing that we've done in-house uh, with transatlantic connections, meaning east coast, west coast, the speed up, uh, meaning the duration it took for a snap mirror transfer to complete, uh, was a factor of three to
1: five. Not bad. Yeah, but I was more thinking about, so we have uh, four transfers going using up all 10 gig, and one of those transfers finishes. You said uh, in the Reno example that it would take up to an hour before mm-hmm. uh, those other three would fill up the pipe again.
2: Yes, and uh, so in a simple example, which I've uh, tried to lay out in one of the graphs, um the uh, speed up uh, can be up to 100 times faster meaning Whoa. meaning you're reaching uh, the new the new target bandwidth mm-hmm. uh, after say uh, um, you've, you've, you've shared uh, two uh, snap transfers and one goes away in the new Reno case it would take say on average half an hour for this uh, to pick up the, the, the slack basically um, and uh, with cubic, uh, it can be up to 100 times faster. So instead of 1,800 seconds, we're talking about 18 seconds. Whoa. You're killing my SLAs here, Richard.
0: Yes. I said an hour, Sorry. all right? That's in the contract, and now I'm giving people much faster speed. Un-
1: under-promise, over-deliver.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. um, so in your slide, you also mentioned here that you can expose potentially latent problems in the network. Can yes. you talk about how that happens?
2: So, because uh, Cubic is uh, slightly more aggressive, uh, (laughs) slightly is a little bit of an understatement, but it tries to be nice, right? So, there's one metric that uh, that always uh, governs these congestion control um, uh, mechanisms, which is fairness. So, they try to to be fair um, with themselves. So, meaning um, uh, a late coming. late comma say you're starting a new snap mirror transfer and while another snap mirror transfer is already going on uh, you want to have those two snap mirror transfers eventually uh, reach approximately 50 percent of the of the bandwidth between the uh, between the sites right Uh, so that's fairness within the same protocol but they also try to be fair uh, between different types of protocols, say uh, you're um, you're running an RDMA stream, and you want to be uh, approximately fair, say 60/40 or perhaps 30/70, something like that, um, with each other. You don't want to starve out the other the other guys. You don't want to end up in a situation where you have like 99 versus 1% of the bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, so with the with the cubic being ramping up that much faster. Um, It could be that um, if you've got um, a network with these shallow buffered switches that we've discussed extensively last time, uh, that uh, you'd um, expose the shortcomings of those switches much more often because it's like 100 times more often that you will be hitting this. um, And uh, you basically will be uh, stuck with your nose in those problems.
0: So with that said... If I upgrade a nine point six, is there a way for me to turn off TCP Cubic,
2: or is it already on? It is on by default. Uh-huh. There is a way to disable it. Yeah, which I'm not allowed to disclose. Well,
0: oh, yeah, and I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying you should disclose it. I'm just saying if I'm a customer yes. and I've bought if, these sh- shallow buffer switches, and then I upgrade on tap, and all of a sudden you've you've murdered my network. Essentially, in in, in reality, you didn't
2: murder it; it was already dead. You've just kind of kicked it a few times. Well, there's 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 another aspect. So, um, to be quite frank, Cubic is not something that we've invented, right? So, Cubic has been in the works uh, for the last, I want to say, fifteen years approximately, and it has been uh, the default mechanism that is being used by uh, Linux. So, if you're running uh, an environment which is predominantly using Linux, and also uh, Windows 10 has recently upgraded uh, to use um, to use Cubic, uh, so Microsoft has abandoned their own homegrown uh, congestion control um, algorithm and adopted Cubic because they fu- they found that uh, their homegrown thing, which was reacting to, aug- to not only to to uh, con- uh, congestion signals in the terms of uh, loss, but also to Variations in the in delay. So when when this queue builds, um, you you in theory you can measure this uh, additional delay. In practice, it turns out that this signal is is very noisy. So you get various measurements that are high and low, and and you you hardly can make out when there's actually a queue building uh, in 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 many uh, circumstances. Um, and they found that uh, they they are. Being treated unfairly with Cubic, so basically Cubic was like pushing them to the to the forty percent mm-hmm. of bandwidth, and they wanted to have the fifty percent, so they <laughs> adopted the, the Cubic. And something like like that is is basically also what uh, drove the decision for us to adopt Cubic.
1: Now, for switches, is any Cisco switch, for example, or any Melanix switch, are they all going to be uh, capable of, of handling
2: this? Certainly. So the underlying mechanism of, of TCB is unchanged right uh, and uh, even under adverse conditions uh, cubic is still is still stable meaning even even if you have a slightly misbehaving switch you would still get your data across perhaps not as as quickly as um, as, as before so this would account to the to the misbehaving um, or the problematic uh, case but uh, you wouldn't uh, suffer any catastrophic problems like uh, no transfer at all
0: yeah, you know, I guess my question was basically: if I'm a customer and I upgrade on tap, and then I start seeing problems, guess who I'm going to blame? The one that uh, <laughs> that
2: upgraded last is the one to blame, of course. Right, right. So I'll, I mean, always blame the network.
0: Well, I mean, you can't blame the network at that point because but at if, that point it's an ONTAP issue because I've upgraded. So what I'm trying to understand is how do you mitigate the situations and do we warn people ahead of time saying, "Hey,
2: we've made this pretty substantial change. Be ready for these yeah. particular results." So, so my my first advice would be: don't panic. I uh, have a blanket ready, um, <laughs> but um, uh, the, um, there is actually a, a way to mitigate this, so uh, virtually all modern uh, switches have um, functionality built in that is called um, uh, Active Queue Management. Uh, very often it's not, it's not. You you v- won't find it with the acronym AQM or Active Queue Management in the in the manual. You're much more likely uh, to find this in the manual with um, uh, with a random early detect or um, uh, random discard, depending on which vendor uh, we are talking about. And that's basically um, a way by which the switch can tell uh, the end systems, the senders, early on. Way way ahead of um, of of this overload of this max critical overload situation, that they better slow down, because uh, the network is becoming uh, uh, congested and and ever more slow uh, to deliver the packets. I want to know who thought it was a good idea to call a random discard. <laughs> well, at the time, at the time, <laughs> there was no different, no other signal than uh, uh, dropping the packets. Yeah, I know, but it's just like, yeah, we're just going to randomly throw out a packet. Don't worry, it's fine, we'll send it again. And we're talking about the, the ancient history of the Internet. So it's uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. And ever since then, uh, another mechanism has been introduced uh, to TCP, and not only TCP, but uh, basically of, uh, to all uh, more modern standards. That's called explicit congestion notification. And that's basically the other way uh, by which um, the network can tell the sender, the traffic that is uh, traversing it, to basically slow down in the sending rate, because uh, it, n- it nears the congestion point. And that's actually uh, one of the features which is uh, heavily used in, uh, in RDMA. Because if you think about it, uh, there's a significant difference with this explicit congestion notification. And that is, you're not actually losing the data that you want to have delivered, but you're delivering the data with an additional tag saying, um, OK, this this I give you this packet, but the next packet, make sure that you are sending it at a slower rate because you're, you're starting to uh, overload the network. And so you're with ECN, um, if you're going into uh, the low latency regime, which is uh, something I believe uh, many of our, our listeners will be, <laughs> will be very keen to, uh, to run, with um, ECN, you do not lose the packets, meaning uh, you do not incur any delay in recovering the packet either.
0: So how does this differ from something like flow control
2: or um, TCP window scaling? So ECN is basically a, a method of flow control, but it's uh, running on a, on a different level, if you want. Um, it's running not like uh, the normal TCP flow control that we have, um, uh, for example, with uh, NFS, where basically the receiver itself says, okay, now um, my application, my NFS client, uh, my, uh, my uh, database is not able to consume... Uh, additional data, so um, please sender, stop sending. So this is what happens with normal flow control on the TCP layer. Then we have uh, flow control on the Ethernet layer. Flow control on the Ethernet layer is really uh, the big hammer because flow control on the Ethernet layer really stops each and every traffic traversing a single uh, particular port. Uh, And that's indifferent of uh, if that flow, if that particular packet actually contributes to the overload situation or if it does not. Or if you have a very time-critical packet, so for example, say DNS resolvers or ARP requests, they would be uh, also blocked from being um, processed um, and that has much more dire consequences, meaning higher uh, latencies throughout the entire network. Which is by the way, the reason why we generally don't recommend using uh, re- normal Ethernet flow control because it's such a big hammer. yeah, that makes sense and ah. uh, and and ecN is basically in the middle. ecN is now the the mech- mechanism that uh, is triggered by the network but gives the signal to the to the end hosts so um, normal so TCP flow control or NFS flow control uh, runs only at the sender, the NFS sender say um, and the NFS client um ethernet uh, flow control runs only from say this nic and that switch or only between those two switches and um and and it it can uh start um uh, ballooning out basically uh when 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 one switch stops another switch to send packets into it uh, then this switch may have uh, not the uh, ability to uh, to cope with the incoming traffic and it will send this uh, this Ethernet flow control upstream and all of a sudden your entire network can collapse um, in, in, in terms of networking uh, speed to the slowest recipient that is attached to your network. Scary. Yes. Sounds like a lot of options. So Ethernet flow control really, really only works if you have no more than a single switch hop in between uh, the sender and the receiver. Everything else... Uh, yeah. <laughs> it can become very interesting. So how does Cubic play with things like jumbo
0: frames? Does it improve things even more with jumbo frames because there's a slower ramp-up time for those larger packets, or is it about the same? Uh,
2: so we've talked about this the last time. So in uh, Reno you have this, uh, this direct correlation between the ramp-up time and the, and, the, and the frame size, meaning jumbo frames um, actually ramp up uh, six times faster than uh non jumbo frames, however with uh, many of these long distance links you're not uh you're not able to use uh jumbo frames in the first place with cubic is still a factor but it's much less dominant uh, over newino because um because this cube function which works re- uh, on time uh is not uh, is not directly related with the with the segment size right um so larger segments help in general that's that's always true. Um, but uh, Cubic is not um, from its from its reaction is not as uh, dependent on the on the larger packet sizes.
0: So as far as exposing these latent problems, if I'm a network admin, what do I look for to see what's
2: going on if I run into a problem because Cubic's been enabled? So usually, um, sometimes very well hidden, you have um, counters that count uh, packet drops in your network switches. Um, Sometimes they are hidden in the sense that you need to look into um, queue counters. So again, um, modern switches not only have a single queue, uh, they usually have in the, uh, between four and eight queues, which um, deal with different can deal with different types of traffic, say um, a voice over IP is a nice example, um, versus regular IP traffic. And each of these queues basically uh, treat the traffic that is classified into them individually. And also packets that are dropped in one of those queues get accounted with uh, the counter that is specific to that particular queue. So if you uh, if you have already a monitoring system in place for your network switches, which is looking at the packet drops over time uh, in those various queues, you may be seeing a slight increase in the in the number of packet drops because again, Cubic is a little bit more aggressive, so it will hit uh, or it will try to to push uh, things slightly harder, and the network will have to push back slightly harder to remain um, at the at the same level but the u- average utilization should go up so if you uh, if you observe the average utilization going down and the packet drops uh, skyrocketing that's a clear sign that something is really going wrong would i notice anything from the ontap side like an ifstat uh, the netstat -s uh, would still um, would still record these uh, statistics so uh, for those of you who don't know uh, Netstat uh, minus -s is a uh, utility that is very very widely uh, used on all of the uh, hosts, not only on on top, uh, to look into uh, TCP and Ethernet statistics. And uh, one of those counters is the number of retransmitted packets. Um, and another counter, which is um, again one of the uh, one of the things that I want to er- eradicate actually, is something called the retransmission timeout. So, retransmission timeout is basically when you're having this situation that the network is overloaded, uh, the sender is retransmitting a packet because you have not deployed ECN, so the packets get actually dropped. Uh, the sender is retransmitting that, and the network is still overloaded. Guess what? There's a high chance that the retransmitted packet will will dropped again. But when this happens, um, the sender will basically revert to a very lengthy timeout uh, and uh, we are talking here in the order of uh, 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 two tenths of a second to a second before um, uh, continuing sending the next packet. And uh, this 200 millisecond, uh, 500 millisecond or 1000 millisecond spike um, is, is also quite easy to spot if you, if you know where to look for. So we do have uh, things like um, say NFS um, latency histograms. So read read IOs, we we accumulate a lot of data, much more than than what your ordinary uh, client would do, basically tracking down the uh, time it took for each NFS request or iSCSI request or SMB request, even Fiber Channel, but that's different different (coughs) technology there, um, how long it took that uh, request to be processed. And uh, very often um, you can see that there is basically a spike Right around 200 milliseconds and 400 milliseconds, which is exactly this uh, this retransmission timeouts of TCP. That's uh, showing its ugly head there.
0: So as far as you know, the stuff you mentioned in that stat s, the good news is it's also in auto support. I mean, we collect that information for you know, with auto support. So if you open up a, te- a support case, our technical support engineers will be able to look at the auto supports and potentially see these retransmits happening, and then maybe guide you in the direction of your network,
2: of which your network admins will then say we have no issues. Of course. <laughs> they never have, <laughs> because usually, in my experience, uh, and, and it's not it's not immediately a fault. So one thing is, um, I've come across vendors which, which try to exploit psychological things. You know, when you have like uh, three pages of statistics, and your uh, point of uh, where you where you looking into those things, um, you're not putting this uh, the number of the drop the packets that you that your switch has dropped right where you're likely to look at. Immediately, (laughs) so you have to go and find this uh, and find these counters. Just bury them at the very bottom so no one sees them. That's actually, I think, in the first after the first third or something. something Oh, something. Oh, put it in the middle. (laughs) Yes, it's 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 hidden in the middle. It's hidden in plain sight, basically. Hidden in
0: plain sight. So you you mentioned a majority of the environments you you out there you'll see the networks will see better performance. What environments might you not see better performance? I hardly can can think of any. Like what about networks that are perfect? <laughs> Show me one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say pretending that there's a perfect network so out I, I,
2: there. I, I take I take I take calls for people that believe they have a perfect network. Yes. So. Perhaps, it, perhaps what you're you, telling me is it doesn't exist unless you pay an extraordinary amount of money for. Uh, so so again so we so I've mentioned this earlier for 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 HCI for example um, uh, and this is basically. Topologies that come from the InfiniBand side of things, um, you're basically over-engineering your network with vastly more bandwidth that you would ever uh, be able to consume from the from the uh, devices that you attach to your network. Um, and if you then run this network uh, in a, in, a, in a modern way, meaning uh, you're doing a layer uh, layer three uh, topology with equal cost multipath and um, load distribution, then the network is less likely to be the issue <laughs> less likely but yes, still possible still possible in those networks uh, so that the technical term is a uh, clause network that's the last name of the inventor of that uh, they are um, heavily used or used to used to be used in uh, in uh, telephony networks and uh, and also as mentioned in infiniband uh, environments but they now we now see them uh, being deployed in uh, hci uh, and built with, uh, with Ethernet IP switches. Um, and there basically what you do is um, for, for every 100 gig or 10 gig or 40 gig, what have you, a uh, port that is facing uh, your, um, uh, your end system, you have at least this, the same number of ports or more uh, in between the switches. So you have vastly more bandwidth in between the switches between the end uh, the end hosts than the end hosts could ever hope for um, uh, utilizing, provided one end host or multiple end hosts never talk to the same single destination, which unfortunately is a very common case uh, in the TCP/IP network. But uh, for telephony networks, uh, you um, you used to have one-to-one phone calls when um Called party was on the phone. The second caller would get uh, would get back uh, that the party is not reachable, right? Um, and uh, and the network would not have to deal with this second, uh, with the second path, basically.
0: Now we have things like Zoom and WebEx
2: and yes, and, and multi-party conference calls, multi-party yeah. conference calls. Yeah, so yes. now you have to deal with all that. Yeah,
1: frequent, 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 packet loss. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: yes.
0: You've, heard, you've perhaps heard this packet loss on the podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
2: so Richard, what sort of use cases would uh, TCP cubic help with? Uh, so the most dominant I've mentioned earlier is really the, the long distance uh, uh, high delay um, factor, uh, where you have um, comparatively limited bandwidth uh, available, and you want to transfer huge amounts of data, like Snap Mirror. Um, That's uh, where you will be seeing the highest uh, improvement, and as I mentioned, so we have done some internal testing uh, across uh, the United States, and uh, the the time to completion, so the the duration a SnapMirror transfer took was improved by a factor of between three and five in some of the cases. Wow.
0: I would imagine things like MetroCluster over IP and
2: SnapMirror Synchronous would benefit greatly from this as well, right? Correct, because, uh, again, this is uh, long distance, or potentially long distance, and uh, uh, and you want to push the, the bandwidth as quickly as possible through that.
0: Would it potentially give you longer distances between these? What uh, do you mean with longer distance? You so, mean so th- like, right now, like, MetroCluster for IP, we claim 700 kilometers. Yeah. With TCP
2: cubic, could we go even beyond that? I mean, uh, to, be, to be quite frank, MetroCost IP is, uh, is uh, much more robust than, <laughs> than we thought it would be. Uh, so this is uh, this is um, a limit basically which is also plays well with um, what you, we used to run applications uh, on top of spinning disks and with spinning disks we used to have a high end latencies in the order of uh, 7 to uh, 7 to 10 milliseconds. So whatever um, application was fine running locally with spinning disks with those latencies would now be fine to run with Metaclust IP across 700 kilometers. So we basically be trading the newer SSD technologies uh, latency improvements uh, with the distance by which we can uh, synchronously replicate the the, the data. Right, and, and what
0: I'm saying is with the TCP cubic, I would assume that our latencies will drop because we have lower ramp up time, so that might allow us to get would be below that 10 millisecond latency requirement MetroCluster of
2: IP so the, we can go further with MetroCluster IP We have really an engineered system where we make um, sure that we never really run into this uh, saturation point where we continuously exceed the capabilities of the switches. Put differently, Cubic will help you if you're uh, starved on bandwidth and you, are, uh, or uh, for whatever reason, you are not able to attain more than 70, 80 percent of the of the um, of the bandwidth provisioned. Um, MetroCluster IP, on the other hand, is really limited by the latency, and that latency is predominantly the distance and not the specifics of um, of the TCP transport mechanism. Mm-hmm. It will slightly improve uh, the, the bandwidth, but uh, I would not expect uh, to go beyond these uh, okay. 700 kilometers. Yeah, I was just thinking in terms of some of that latency might be attributed to drop packets in the ramp up time that you spoke of true but that's uh, that's exactly where uh, the engineered system comes in and um, i mentioned earlier this uh, this ecn mechanism uh, so MetroCluster is uh, starting to use that um, soon uh, to avoid especially this particular case where we have uh, these um, slight uh, latency spikes excellent
0: So I would imagine other use cases would include WAN access over SMB or NFS. So, like, if you have home directories that are located in Portland, Oregon, and you live out in, like, Munich, Germany, and you want to access these home directories, TCP Cubic could help in that situation as well, right?
2: Yeah, well, (laughs) I'm not a big fan of of SMB (laughs) if if you're talking home directories. But uh, don't forget uh, the— No, I know you love SMB. That's why I brought it up. (laughs) Of course. Uh, don't forget the cloud. Um, everything that has to do with cloud uh, usually has uh, a component where you have comparatively um, thin, uh, uh, low, latent, uh, low bandwidth link, comparatively to what you have inside the data center, uh, and and also high latency. So in those environments where you have um, um, uh, what's the what's the name? On tap? No. The SMB. Cloud. Uh, cloud volumes on tap? No. The cloud one-
0: volume services on tap? <laughs> cloud, 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 cloud. Snap, snap, flex, flex.
2: <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, I'm running out of ideas here. No, 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 no. It was uh, fl- flex, cloud, cloud. Fabric, pool. fabric
0: pools. Fabric pools.
2: It's too many, too many F's and P's and G's. I always mix up with the nomenclature and, and, and oh. that we are using. Fabric pools. Fabric pools. Yeah, fabric pools. So if you're if you're still uh, in on top world. Fabric pools um, is something where Cubic will certainly help because it basically will be utilizing the bandwidth towards your cloud provider much more efficiently, and therefore your uh, transfer times uh, onto the onto the S3 um, uh, blobs will be shortened. Hmm,
0: that's interesting. It's a nice use case there. Uh, I would imagine Ontap Select also would help here. I mean, because usually Select is deployed in remote offices, right? So I mean, and it, it will be in Ontap
2: Select nine point six. And it and it is deployed in in clouds where you don't really control the network, right? Uh, so potentially you you're competing with other people's uh, TCP Cubic, and um, with uh, I've mentioned earlier with Cubic being slightly more aggressive. So it's 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 m- Cubic tries uh, if you compete uh, new Reno or Reno the former uh, mechanism with cubic uh, cubic will be taking slightly more than 50 percent of the of the bandwidth, slightly slightly more than the fair share, right? Um, and now we are back into the proper fair sharing of the of the networking resources in these environments. We were also going to talk about RDMA, and you hinted at this a
0: few times within the podcast. Um, so let's talk more about RDMA. So Dan, you had some questions that you wanted to ask Richard about RDMA.
1: Yeah, I, I really wanted to know uh, from Richard's perspective. I think I asked him about this last time he was here, but now that he's had some more time to think about it. Uh, so, uh, we have a, a number of protocols, uh, NVMe protocols that are uh, coming to market currently. So, uh, we uh, currently have uh, fiber channel or NVMe over fiber channel, which works spectacularly well. But it does so in a fi- fiber channel SAN, which you can screw up. But it's much simpler to uh, design. It's much simpler to screw up. <laughs> <clears throat> well, it, it's it's easy it's easy to screw up, but. Uh, you can. It's easier to get a perfect yes. SAN, whereas there is no perfect network. As a storage guy who cares about the most performant applications in, in my data center, now that I'm going to be moving away from fiber channel into Ethernet, utilizing these NVMe protocols, be it NVMe uh, over Rocky or the coming NVMe over TCP, um, what are the things in my network that I need to verify or... Need to ensure that I take into account when I'm Hmm. designing them uh, to provide me that uh, level of of uh, bliss that I experienced in in fiber channel.
2: So, very the very first thing on my on 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 in my. Uh, list of topics here is something that has nothing to do with uh, with uh, what we've discussed earlier, and that's uh, a fundamental difference in how you n- usually design uh, sand networks versus IP networks. So in the sand world, we are all very accustomed to the notion of uh, two fabrics. So you have uh, a number of switches which are connected together um, twice. And then uh, on each of those switches your end hosts, your end devices are connected with one link to one fabric and with another link to another fabric, right? Mm-hmm. And if anything bad happens with either of those uh, fabrics uh, say a switch uh, goes into a reboot loop or uh, you have uh, you have a misconfiguration, zoning issue, something else um, your other domain would still maintain the connectivity. Um, this is Extremely common. Uh, it's the best practice in the SAN environment. Yep. But this is extremely uncommon in the Ethernet and IP world. Scary. And that's uh, so that so my prime example where we uh, where we um, where this is, is is not true is um, Airbus Industries A three hundred and eighty for all of the of the auxiliary uh, systems, including the customer entertainment uh they are running actually um ethernet networks on the on the airplane uh one ethernet network is obviously um just for the for the customer entertainment and then there are different ethernet networks that also um do some auxiliary uh sensor readings and stuff like that but all of them use this uh this ba- this fundamental um, uh, architecture of having two independent uh, switching fabrics, and each uh, device is connected with one link to one fabric and with with another link to another fabric. In the case of uh, of Airbus, they choose uh, Ethernet because Ethernet chips are, you know, cheap, cheap, ubiquitous, and getting getting cheaper and more capable um, all the time. Um, so that's that's the that's the the, the example where you so. Don't be afraid in uh, going on an Airbus, right? Even though that's uh, that's running uh, Ethernet and IP for some of its uh, for some of its uh, internal services, um, and you can build uh, such a thing obviously also in a data center. However, um, as with a SAN, it will obviously be approximately twice as expensive because you need twice as much uh, uh, switches. And again, that's something that is very rarely used. But that would be really the top of my. Uh, the, the, the first uh, line, which would um, provide not only um, higher bandwidth, so that you can basically uh, provide uh, uh, more more speeds, more feeds, um, but also much improved resiliency. Again, that's the that's the number one topic. Apart from that, uh, modern uh, modern RDMA networks really depend on um, something called uh, data center bridging. And data center bridging really is a is a is a set of features that uh, virtually all modern switches um, uh, come with. Uh, however, you very often you are required to actually enable them. So just you know deploying the switches, turning them on, giving them an IP address, and okay, they're showing up in the management, and that's it. No, that's not <laughs> not the end of the story, right? Um, so for example, i mentioned earlier this AQM mechanism. Uh, so AQM again. Uh, gives an early indication before the switches uh, catastrophically overload. That was uh, a queue man active Q management. Active queue management, exactly. Um, uh, to the uh, to the senders to uh, throttle down uh, on how fast they send uh, packets into the network uh, so to avoid excessive packet drops and avoid these uh, retransmission timeouts. So as long as there is, uh, you know, every once in a while a single packet is lost, again, this is the, unfortunately the state of the art of most networks. Um, that's not not a big deal. Um, TCP and, and virtually all other uh, transport mechanisms that are using Ethernet and IP are very good with handling uh, singular packet losses. Uh, when it comes to the loss of multiple packets in a row, uh, things become dire. Mm-hmm. So active queue management is the thing that you should be looking at in a switch. Uh, Next thing you want to want to have is, um, especially when we are talking about um, uh, Rocky, so RDMA over converged Ethernet, um, is uh, ECN. So you basically you combine this uh, random early detect mechanism or AQM mechanisms um, with um, ECN, uh, meaning you get the signal, you get the information that the network is starting to 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 become slightly overloaded. Uh, while not losing the actual data. So you don't get, uh, you don't have this uh, latency hit. Um, for larger um, deployments of Rocky, uh, that's actually in the requirements uh, specs of um, of Rocky. There's also, um, I've seen a couple of white papers, uh, for example, by Mellanox, you've mentioned it, mm-hmm. um, uh, that go to uh, some length in uh, giving example um, uh, configurations of their type of switches but uh, obviously the the configuration commands will be slightly different if you're using, uh, say, a Juniper or or Cisco or some other brand. Um, But the functionality is virtually identical because um, we're talking about uh, mechanisms that have been more than 20 years uh, already in the standards.
1: I know that Rocky uses uh, UDP, so insert your UDP joke here. You told it to me and I didn't get it. (laughs) so um, it, clearly this t. c. p. uh cubic thing isn't going to affect uh u d. p is it
2: well uh with um uh with rocky you still have uh, congestion control um but it's not cubic it's not reno they have something called uh d c. q. c. n data center Quantifi- quantified uh congestion notification uh, so that's basically the, the fancy name for the mechanism that works between um, an, an RNIC. So the, the RDMA sender and the RDMA receiver, they have uh, specialized NICs which handle all the, all the dirty laundry, you know, beneath uh, the, the API. Um, and they basically negotiate with each other uh, what type of congestion mechanisms uh, they are running. And if they basically see that, uh, the ne- that your network is um, ECN capable, they can switch on uh, this uh, DCQCN, meaning they can adjust the rate, not like what TCP is, is doing by basically a fixed factor, and then we go from there. But with this quantified, uh, the quantified uh, thing is uh, it basically reduces the, uh, the the rate by a certain amount that is dependent on the current um, uh, state of congestion in the in the network. So it's more complicated but uh, uh, really from, from the point of view of an operator all you really need to do is um, not only turn on the switch but also configure this um AQM or random detect mechanism according to the documents that are specified in the Rocky page because you will have to configure that slightly different from uh, what you would be configuring this uh, for if you were running TCP. If you're planning to run a heterogeneous network, meaning a network that runs both uh, Rocky or some kind of RDMA uh, together with uh, TCP the exception of uh, of iWARP because iWARP is RDMA uh, over TCP, um, then you should really um, also set up a quality of service um, meaning you classify the types of traffic uh, into different queues, and then you can uh, uh, provision those queues specific to the way this particular traffic wants um, wants that queue to be handled. Meaning, you can have uh, one set of configuration that is uh, compliant with what TCP is expecting in one queue, in the default queue, Q0, queue no, queue, oh, sorry, Q0, usually, and a different set of, uh, uh, of parameters for the queue in which uh, Rocky is being tr- uh, is being. Um, uh, classified into,
1: and is that something that the uh, person deploying the switch would have to configure? Uh,
2: I think so. Yes, um, I've heard some rumors that uh, Mellanox is thinking about doing something like an automatic configuration. So, if you would be using uh, a, a homogeneous environment of pure Mellanox Arnx and uh, p- uh, and only Mellanox switches, then uh, potentially. These things would would work under the hood without the you actively enabling this, but um, I've not I've not heard about the specifics of, of what that may inc- uh, involve. But again, so for 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 um, if you want to run a heterogeneous network in the sense of different switch vendors, um, then uh, you would be required basically to do this uh, to do these settings, as best as uh, the switches capabilities are, um, and according to the to the specs of uh, of Rocky. Got
1: gotcha. Okay. So is it, so the ECN is built into the RNIX?
2: ECN is yes. ECN is, is nowadays built into the RNIx. It's uh, it's an, an essential part of the of the of the Rocky specifications actually. Um, so if you do not uh, run ECN, uh, you still can have um, uh, you can still have your your RDMA traffic. But as soon as you are hitting some kind of, uh, of, of congestion, meaning you're overloading one of the switches or the receiver or whatever, um, the, the loss recovery of, uh, of Rocky is not yet as advanced as it is in TCP. So in TCP, uh, people have had something like uh, 40 years of experience of uh, figuring out uh, when to resend which packet and deal with this in the most efficient way. Um, and I've just uh, seen um, a respin or an up- update to the to the Rocky spec- specifications, where they have now basically included what is known uh, in the TCP world as selective acknowledgements, meaning the receiver can tell the sender specifically uh, which packets uh, need to be retransmitted. So this is something that uh, that uh, that Rocky lacked. Until quite recently, uh, so potentially you also need to do a firmware upgrade of your of your RNICs.
1: Okay. All right. So that sounds like a lot of things that I've got to manage. <laughs> so, what would it look like uh, doing TCP or doing NVMe over TCP? Uh, obviously, you you don't know what the NICs look like necessarily, but or what the OS's are going to be doing?
2: Well, the thing is, the OS won't be doing anything. The point of, the, of these RNICs yeah, is specifically that the, that the operating system is uh, kept out of the loop, and, and to be more precise, even the, the main CPU of your, of your platform is kept out of the loop. Um, and the data is being transferred between some memory location on one host to some other memory location on another host. And all of that is handled as close to hardware as possible, without uh, you know incurring any any additional overhead on the on the main CPU. Okay.
1: So for NVMe over TCP, am I still going to need ARNICs?
2: Certainly, yes. The the Arnic would uh, basically run a different protocol, but uh, if the, the ARNIC would still uh, have to have the capabilities uh, to be uh, relative, uh, relatively relatively. Complex, so, so um, Rocky itself with all the congestion control mechanisms and the signaling we've mentioned uh, uh, ECN uh, and uh, this uh, DCQCN as the congestion control mechanism. That's quite complex to implement, um, but an RNIC that is capable of, of running that is uh, also capable. Just you know, from the from the capabilities of the hardware uh, to run uh, uh, NVMe over TCP. Um, so, to be a little bit with, you know, with, a, with a tongue-in-cheek thing, uh, the, the Rocky specs from the point of view of, um, of a congestion control and, and, and packet handling standpoint um, are approximating TCP. Uh, but
1: not quite there.
2: Not quite there. Yeah, They still have a little bit <laughs> to go.
1: Okay. So, so, my transition path, if I uh, started out with NVMe over Rocky because it's something I could uh, do today... And uh, six months or a year from now, when uh, NVMe over TCP is clearly the better better option, we don't know it is yet. Well, let, I'm assuming it's going to be.
2: So, I mean, the thing is, just <coughs> for those of you who don't know, um, uh, NVMe over Fabric uh, is basically using multiple layers, and one of those layers um, is uh, is RDMA, and in the RDMA layer, you have uh, sublayers which deal with data placement um, meaning the memory locations from which to where the thing has to go and uh, nvme and rdma basically are not intertwined very deeply with each other so each of these uh, things have still have to be treated uh, more or less independently Uh, whereas in the nvme over tcp case uh, that specific uh, that um, uh, standard was specifically created to make um, the handling of NVMe traffic uh, as efficient as as uh, as possible, and remove as much um, shim layers or intermediate layers uh, in between the the network and the actual data transfer as possible. So, from an efficiency point of view, from the protocol, uh, NVMe over TCP uh, should be more efficient. Should be technically superior. However, we have had uh, examples in the past, I just remember, to the Betamax versus VHS. I was just going to say Betamax. Yeah. That's it's the m- prime beta. example. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Or HD DVD versus Blu-ray.
2: Aren't you streaming? Yeah. Come on, Grandpa.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, you know, to be more modern. Well, streaming now versus, yeah. Now we can stream
2: better with TCP cubic. That is correct. <laughs> But uh, actually, so so a little bit of an excursion there and there are even more advanced uh, mechanisms uh, that are being deployed. Uh, so we have something like TCP Rack, which is a development by uh, spearheaded by Google, I believe. Um, but if you're streaming Netflix, that's something that you're currently using. Ah. Or Netflix is using towards you. Uh, and also we have something different uh, or cubic. Um, um, Google is is also at the forefront of developing, uh, something called BBR. And that's, uh, something very interesting because it's a model based congestion control. So it's, it's trying to model the network and, uh, what the theoretical, uh, possibilities are to get the data from one end of the network to the other end of the network. Uh, and, uh, that's, um, that's basically something that you want to have if you have uh, wireless uh, access points in your in your path most likely you have um, because uh, sometimes uh, say the microwave uh, is is running and uh, and corrupts your packets but those corrupted packets will be uh, will be interpreted by TCP as congestion and TCP will then reduce the the sending rate with BBR BBR, so to speak, will model the microwave out of the equation and ignore the impact of the microwave in uh, the in the way it's uh, transmitting its packets. So you get a much much better streaming experience with that. So this is
0: basically machine learning for a network. Yeah,
2: kind of. Okay,
1: interesting. So, so Richard, I gotta ask, what what does your home network look like?
2: I'm 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 uh, <laughs> I'm not uh, I'm not an extensive user, so I only have uh, like 10 megabits up and down obviously with fiber, because what I really care about is latency. I care about latency much more than I care about bandwidth. Well, yeah, most people don't use all the bandwidth they have anyway. What I want to know is how a call to
0: the networking company or the the cable company that you're using goes when you, when you
2: <laughs> call. badly, it. badly, because I tell them what what is what is broken and then they will will try to 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 provide me with all the the script. No, they, they will they will they will try to demonstrate that what I told them is is not correct.
1: Uh-huh. Typical network guys.
2: And uh, then eventually, after a couple of days, they may figure out that what I've told them early, early on was. Pro- was actually the problem and then they fix it and all happened have you ever made one of them cry no but I've uh, <laughs> I've I've dropped I've dropped by the company and uh, and and basically so I, I don't think that this happens to ordinary customers right that uh, you dropped to them and uh, and then the, the the networking guy from the back office shows picks you up drags you in and you tell them how he how he needs to fix his network for not only for me, but for other uh, customers to work properly. So did you get a discount out of that? Did uh, they? Yes, okay. actually. So like like 10, 10 cents on the monthly <laughs> Ten fee. 10 cents! <laughs> <laughs> on the monthly fee, so it's like forever. But still,
0: <laughs> 10 cents for fixing their network? <laughs> uh, they should have upgraded you to a higher package for the same price as what you're paying now.
1: Well, he's already got fiber, I mean.
0: Yeah, but, you know, give him more bandwidth. He doesn't want it, but just give it to him. All right, Richard, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us more than we could possibly ever remember about networking. Um, again, Richard, if you wanted to reach you, how do we do that? Uh, it's
2: been a pleasure. So you can reach me <laughs> now, Dames, with um, S, Sierra, uh, Richard, like my first name, at NetApp.com. And Dan?
1: Uh, at Dan Isaacs at the Twitter or uh, just Isaacs at NetApp if you want to se- send me an email. There you go. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. All right.
0: That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Richard Sheffenegger for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening.